The following audio is from Shady Grove Presbyterian Church in Rockville, Maryland. Our mission is to follow Jesus Christ and labor for his kingdom both in our area and around the world. For more information about Shady Grove Presbyterian Church, please follow our Facebook page and visit shadygrovepca.org. Thank you, Peter and Joe. It's wonderful. Well, if you have your Bibles, you're going to need to follow along, and some of the verses that I'm going to refer to are not uh, in, the, in the text in the bulletin, but we're looking at Numbers chapter 11. Okay. Has anybody ever been to a 12-step program for grumbling? Has anybody ever done that? How about for complaining? It's funny how grumbling stays under the radar. And we tend to think of it as not really that big of a deal. Yet it was a grumbling and complaining and murmuring that was a manifestation of the evil heart of unbelief. And that is why the people of Israel didn't make it to the promised land. So God takes this sin very seriously. And one of the first fruits that we bear as believers and we come to realize that Christ is enough, and we rest in the finished work of Christ. This gratitude spills over into our lives, and it's like the first fruit that shows up as we become grateful, and it leads to great contentment. And so we're focusing on this idea of how do we cultivate gratitude. It's not something that's just natural, that we wake up in the morning, I am just naturally full of gratitude. We wake up and we're naturally more Debbie Downers, I think, by nature, at least I am, and I can perpetually propagate pessimistic poison. Please pray for me. Sometimes Kim will say, you're a Debbie Downer, you know? And it's easy to look at things negatively rather than in the light of eternal realities and eternal perspective. Now, this story begins here in Numbers 11. I'm actually gonna read the first couple of verses from chapter 10 to show you we're only three days in. So they've been at, they've been at Sinai. You know, they, they've received the, the law, the commandments, and now they're setting out on a journey from Sinai. And, and we're told in Numbers chapter 10, so they set out from the mount of the Lord. Three days journey. And the ark of the covenant of the Lord went before them three days' journey to seek out a resting place for them. And the cloud of the Lord was over them by day wherever, whenever they set out from the camp. So the Lord is with them. They've got the ark with them. The cloud is over them. And whenever, whenever the ark sent out, Moses said, Arise, O Lord, and let your enemies be scattered, and let those who hate you flee before you. And when it rested, he said, Return, O Lord, to the ten thousands of Israel. Things are going good, Right? And the people complained in the hearing of the Lord about their misfortunes. And the word misfortunes is just the Hebrew word ra for, for evil. And so it can refer to calamity, but they're complaining about something evil. And we're not even told there's anything evil going on. And when the Lord heard it, his anger was kindled. And the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed some outlying parts of the camp. Then the people cried out to Moses, and Moses prayed to the Lord, and the fire died down. So the name of that place was called Tibera, because the fire of the Lord burned among them. Now the rabble that was among them had a strong craving, 
And the people of Israel also wept again and said, oh, that we had meat to eat. Or the NIV is, if only we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt that cost nothing. The cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. But now our strength is dried up and there's nothing at all but this manna to look at. And then over to verse 31, we're gonna see that God answers their prayer. They want meat to eat. Well, sometimes God answers our prayer with deadly quails. Then a wind from the Lord sprang up and it brought quail from the sea and let them fall, let them fall beside the camp about a day's journey on this side and a day's journey on the other side around the camp and about two cubits above the ground. And the people rose all that day and all night and all the next day and gathered the quail. Those who gathered least gathered 10 homers and they spread them out for themselves all around the camp while the meat was yet between their teeth. Before it was consumed, the anger of the Lord was kindled against the people and the Lord struck down the people with a very great plague. Therefore, the name of that place was called Kibroth Hatavah because there they buried the people who had the craving. From Kibroth Hatavah, the people journeyed to Hazaroth and they remained at Hazaroth. Let me pray again for us. Father, we ask that you would now speak to us. Lord, we pray that we would see that you are good and that you do good. Teach us your statutes, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we have a lot of sin in this text. Where do we start? Well, it begins with the complaining, doesn't it, in verse 1? And the people of Israel are journeying towards the promised land. They have been delivered from bondage in Egypt and from Pharaoh's imposed slavery. And they have become short of memory. Do you remember what we're actually told happened? They cried out to God in their bondage and their misery. And the end of Exodus chapter 2, right before this, God shows up and calls Moses in the burning bush. Before that happened, we are told this at the end of Exodus 2. It says, during those many days, the king of Egypt died and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God and God heard their groaning and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God saw the people of Israel and God knew. So we're told in reality, because you remember they've got some, some uh, amnesia going on here about their days in, in uh, bondage, that they're groaning in their slavery. And we're told in this that text in Exodus 2, they groaned twice, they cried out twice, they're crying, and twice we're told about slavery. And that's a pretty important reality check because the people of Israel are having selective amnesia issues in verse five and six. And this is, and God is reminding them of his faithfulness. And even here with the cloud following them, they should know the Lord is being good and he's taking care of us as he always has. And yet the people are complaining about their misfortunes. Now you recall that God had made a promise to Abraham and the rest of the Bible is fulfilling Genesis 12. 
In Genesis 12, God said to Abraham, I'm gonna make you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Did you know God is still fulfilling that promise? God promised to make a great nation from Abraham and to bless those who bless you and to dishonor those who dishonor you, I will curse those who dishonor you. And that's what the Egyptians were doing. They were oppressing God's people. And so the curses of the Abrahamic covenant came upon them. And they went through the Red Sea on dry land, seeing God being faithful to his covenant promises. But the Egyptian army was chasing after them and they're chasing after them to bring them wrath and to kill them. And they themselves are killed as God's wrath is poured out on them and the walls of water come crashing in. And we are told in Exodus that the people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea, the waters being to them a wall to their right hand and on their left, and the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians. So the people feared the Lord and they believed the Lord and his servant Moses. Was that the end of the story? You see, that's just the beginning of the story. Just like your salvation is just the beginning of your story. You now become a follower of Christ. It doesn't end there. I think it's easy to forget what God said to Moses when he appeared to him at the burning bush. God said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt. I've heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings and I've come to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey to the place of the Canaanites. So he's telling them, I'm gonna deliver you out of this and I'm gonna take you to this. I'm taking you to the promised land, a land flowing from milk and honey. So that's where we are in this story and our story because God's people have been delivered from Egypt and from Pharaoh just as we have changed kingdoms and we have been delivered from our slavery to sin by a true and better Moses, Jesus. And we've been delivered from a false and worse Pharaoh, the devil himself. And now we're journeying towards our promised land and yet we're in the wilderness. We're on pilgrimage and we're journeying towards this promised land and we find ourselves complaining about our misfortunes. Israel, the people of Israel, they were no longer finding themselves in a place of amazement. Amazement at God's deliverance from Pharaoh in Egypt. Amazement that we've been delivered from the tyranny of the devil. Amazed that we've been saved from the shackles of sin. Amazed at how God provided water from a rock when there was no water. Amazed at God's daily provision of manna in the wilderness that they would collect daily except on the Sabbath when the Lord provided double. Amazing. You know, manna literally meant, what is it? Because it was so amazing. What is it? That's what the Hebrew word, what is it? Well, we're told in scripture that it was the first wonder bread. 
It was the first angel food cake. It's literally called the bread of heaven and the bread of angels in Psalm 78. And the Apostle Paul describes it as spiritual food, meaning supernatural food. It was God's incredible daily provision for the people of God in the wilderness. It was daily bread. Amazement. Are they amazed? Not so much anymore. When I'm on a longer bike ride, and it's been a little while since I've done one of these, but when we would go riding with some of the guys, and when you get riding about 50 miles or more, I have never heard a guy complain about the food he's eating. Nobody ever complains about that because you're eating this stuff, and it's really not that great. Have you ever had a Cliff Bar? I mean, it's, it's nutrition, but it's not something you write a note about, but it's not something you complain about because when you're on the ride, you're, you're used, the food just serves to an end. You're eating and you're, you're loading these carbs because it's all about getting you to your destination. And nobody complains about the food because the food isn't the focus, the destination is. If you lose focus on your destination, then you're gonna want better meals because you aren't on pilgrimage, you're acting like you're home. And so that's part of the problem here is that the people of God forgot that they're on journey. This isn't home yet. C.S. Lewis wrote this wonderful autobiography called Surprised by Joy. And he describes about these experiences of longings and how they were pointing him to trace the, you know, trace the sun rays back to the sun and to point, where is this joy coming from? And he has these experiences that ultimately, as he's writing this story, that drew him to Jesus to connect the dots of where does all this come from? And the very end of the story, the very end of the book, he says this, but what in conclusion of joy? For that, after all, is what this story's been mainly about. To tell you the truth, the subject has lost nearly all interest for me since I became a Christian. I believe that the old stab that old bitter sweet has come to me as often and as sharply since my conversion as at any time of my life, whatever. But I now know that the experience considered as a state of my own mind had never had the kind of importance I once gave it. It was valuable only as a pointer to something other and outer. While the other was in doubt, the point naturally loomed large in my thoughts. He who first sees it cries, look, the whole party gathers round and stares. But when we have found the road and are passing signpost every few miles, we shall not stop and stare. They will encourage us and we shall be grateful to the authority that set them up, but we shall not stop and stare or not much, not on this road, though their pillars are of silver and their letterings of gold, we would be at Jerusalem. Do you get what he's getting at? Before, the experiences were everything. But once he becomes a Christian, now he's found the signpost. And these are leading him on journey, that we're gonna be at Jerusalem, we're on pilgrimage. And you know, even though these letters are of silver and gold and they're incredible, I'm on pilgrimage. And that kind of narrows, it changes our perspective of trying to suck life and get everything out of this present experience. We're told here that the people complained about their misfortunes. Well, the only misfortune that I can see in the text that they're complaining about is they no longer like the menu. They're not so pleased with their lack of food options anymore. They've been promised a land of milk and honey and Canaan, 
Yet the people of God are pining and wanting to go back to Egypt because they remember the smorgasbord they had there. Man, weren't those the good old days? The glorious place of fish suppers and green salads, Ian Duguid says. How good was the green in the Nile Valley? Their memory of the past had become strangely forgetful, developing strategic holes. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt that cost nothing. Cucumbers, melons, leeks, onions, and garlic. But now, literally, our soul is dried up. And there's nothing at all but this manna to look at. How scary is that? We remember the fish we ate in Egypt that cost nothing. God's inspired word is telling us something. The rest of the Bible speaks of Israel's slavery in Egypt and the food that they said cost nothing actually was costing them everything. This food wasn't free because they weren't free, but they were in bondage. They were slaves. Free food, well, there, there, there wasn't any, it was free because they never got paid for the work they did. You never got paid. All you got to do is work all day and bring the same amount of bricks and you, you got to bring the straw too or you're going to get whooped. Yet somehow selective amnesia got the better of them. And, and the writer of scripture is giving this to be an example for us to learn from. Because this is how the enemy works. C.S. Lewis in his great book, Screwtape Letters, in which he's got a senior demon writing to a lower ranked demon of how to tempt these humans. The, here's one vice that he gets at, is that the devil never wants us to live in the present. This is what he says. Keep in mind, this is one demon to another demon. The humans live in time, but our enemy, God, destines them to eternity. He, therefore, I believe, wants them to attend chiefly to two things, to eternity itself and to the point of time, which they call the present. For the present is the point in time at which, at which time touches eternity. He would therefore have them continually concerned either with eternity, which means being concerned with him, or with the present, either meditating of their eternal union with or separation from himself, or else obeying the present voice of conscience, bearing the present cross, receiving the present grace, giving thanks for the present, present pleasure. Our business is to get them away from the eternal and from the present. You see, the devil never wants you to live in the present. He wants to beat you up about your past, have you riddled with guilt and shame about your past, and then you can't live in the present, or if that doesn't work, get you to think about how great your past was with this lens of distortion, and you think, man, that was, that was really good, and, and worse yet is to think that, that your sinful state and somehow what you had before you were a believer is somehow better that now that you're in Christ and that those days were better. God's providing the bread of angels in the present and the people of God are saying all we have now is this manna to look at. Notice it isn't even eat now, it's just to look at. And we remember the menu options and the plethora of vegetables and meat we had in Egypt and if only we had meat and God has provide, promised this promised land and in reality the promised land is in front of them and in their distortion, they now think that the promised land is behind them, that the land of milk and honey is to turn around and go back to Egypt. Let's appoint an, a leader and go back. And anytime we think like that, we're asking for meat and we better look out for the quails. 
because the quails kill. And they're an answer to what James 4 refers to as adulterous prayers, asking God for sinful pleasures. Tim Keller in his message on Numbers 11 says that just as there's never been a fire that has said, enough, that's enough fuel, I'm fine now. Has a fire ever said, okay, I'm content now? He says, that's what a sinful heart says. A, sin, a sinful heart never says, I've had enough success. I've had enough love. I've had enough approval. I've had enough comfort. Oh, no. He says, the more fuel you put into a fire, the higher it burns and the more it needs. The more oxygen is sucking, the more fuel it has to have. That's the heart of the fire. So next time you're crabby, next time you're grumpy, next time you're irritable, next time you're scared to death, really scared, next time you're in the pist- pits, ask yourself, what am I telling myself would make me happy if only I had it? There's an if only at the bottom of this. And the people of Israel ask, saying, if only we had meat. Whenever you tell yourself that, this if only has become your slave master. And you know you're chafing at the manna when you see God's provisions as boring, as unsexy, as ho-hum, and that we're entitled to better manna and we want meat. So God says, you want meat? You're gonna eat meat till it comes out of your nostrils. We can become quite unsettled and grumble about our work, our boss, our coworkers, our benefits, our pay, our commute, where we live, the house we live in, the place is falling apart, the community's falling apart, the people we live with, the church we go to, the worship service, the songs we sing, the prayers that are prayed too long, and the preacher that's boring. This is just manna this morning, and a couple of you are already asleep. And I've seen you, so you better wake up. <laughs> and I'm not being funny, because I did that to wake a few of you up. And when Matt Roberts and I get together, he's a pastor in Germantown, we're good, and sometimes we'll, we'll, we'll talk about things that are going on, and sometimes we'll get whining. And if we catch each other whining too much, one of us will say, you want some cheese with your wine? It's to wake each other up that we're whining too much. Solomon wisely said in Ecclesiastes 7.10, say not, why were the former days better than these? For it's not from wisdom that you ask this. Yet I hear sometimes, and I read Facebook posts sometimes, where people want to get back to the good old days in America. Which good old days are you referring to? Days that weren't so divisive, so polarizing. Which part of America and history are you might be referring to? Like we, we went through a civil war, that was the 1800s. We were a, a divided country. Certainly you can't be referring to the age of the depression because that wasn't a great time in our history. Was it like when Martin Luther King Jr. was around and JFK and RFK? Well, they were all shot and killed. Are you referring to Ronald Reagan? That was great. He was shot too. What, what period are you referring to of this great time? Was it the time of war protest in Vietnam and a very divided country and tear gas and police officers and coming to campuses? Which part are you referring to? I mean, I can remember as a kid seeing gas lines all the way down from the Shell Station at Quince Orchard going all the way up to NIST because that was the great time of of Jimmy Carter and inflation was around 20%. What, which good old days are we referring to? Because I think we have some selective amnesia. 
I was at the African American History Museum this week, and I ended up getting paired up with this godly man, Marvin, from the Church of Redeemer. And he's just this wonderful black man who has given me an education as we kind of walk through the African American History Museum. But which part of African American history would be, would be, let's go back to those days. That was great. They came over on ships. They didn't volunteer. Do you know what we would call that today? Amber alert. We would call that amber alert. It was kidnapping. That's how they got their start. We had a constitution based on inalienable rights of life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness, but blacks were redeemed, were deemed three-fifths human. The constitution didn't apply to them. We had a civil war as a country, and a divided country tried to heal, and we established Jim Crow laws. Those weren't good old days for blacks. We had segregated laws, segregated communities, segregated schools, segregated education. The very Board of Education in Montgomery County, that was the black school. Did you know that? There were two black schools in Rockville with the same exact name. So they had to make a different name for, for the other school, the white school. So they named it Richard Montgomery High School. And when desegregation occurred in the 60s, there were protests in Poolsville and in Rockville where the white people were protesting to keep the schools segregated. We had segregated movie theaters, segregated restaurants, segregated water fountains. I mean, worst of all, segregated churches. That's not the good old days we want to go back to, is it? You see, the devil's focus is to get you to focus on some great thing in the past that we somehow think, well, that was it, that was the age, that was the time. And the whole goal of talk radio, the whole goal of TV talking heads is one word, agitation. Their whole goal is to provoke you so that you'll keep listening. And if you're provoked and agitated and getting mad, they've won because now you're gonna listen. God has provided something else for you besides agitation. It's called manna. Manna is God's provision. How are you viewing the manna that God is giving you this morning? Do you see it as God has given you daily bread and you're content with that and you're thankful for that? And is it good enough or are you saying, I gotta have more? If I only had meat, I've discovered that the way the devil works is he always wants you to have just one thing. It's just one thing. If I just had this, I'd be happy. Because that's how it began in the garden. I mean, they had everything but they just needed one more thing. It's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I mean, there's just one thing I need. It's just only one piece of fruit that I need. And there'll always be that one thing. If I just had this, I'd be happy. Really? The people here just wanted meat. If you're not content with the manna, then who are you really not content with? Because Jesus says he's ultimately, he's the manna. He is God's provision for our salvation. So if we're not content, we're saying Christ isn't enough. I know some of you, some of the youth were at the uh, He's No Fool conference, which was the five martyrs that died um, in the 50s when they went to reach the Alka Indians. And Jim Elliott's wife, 
Uh, Elizabeth Elliot wrote many books uh, after that. And she has this great quote where she said, the secret is Christ in me, not me in a different set of circumstances. The secret is Christ in me, not me in a different set of circumstances. Jesus said this in John 6 about himself. He says, they said to him, our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said to him, sir, give us this bread always. And he said to them, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I'm the bread of life. Your fathers ate the man in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I'm the living bread that came down from heaven and if anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. And when we truly believe this truth and the heart says this is true and this is where I'm gonna lay my my trust, and we find that Jesus is enough, then we're, we give up endlessly trying to prove that we're gonna be something by what we do and what we contribute. The gospel is resting in the finished work of Jesus Christ, and Jesus said from the cross, it is finished, and he committed his spirit to the Lord and died. So for the soul that believes this good news, the soul says, it is finished and the soul commits his spirit to the Lord and begins to live and find life. Let me close with this word from 1 Corinthians because the Apostle Paul looks back on this event and he gives an inspired message for us. And this is what he says. He says, I don't want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea, talking about the Red Sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things took place as examples for us so that we might not desire evil as they did. You know, this place was called the, the graves, the grave of craving. It literally, when it says they had a strong craving in the text, in the, in the Septuagint is they lusted a lust. You remember Ben talking about epithumia last week? Well, this is a double epithumia. One's a verb and one's a noun. They lusted a lust. It's like a double lust, a craving for meat. And what Paul is saying here is that it's an example for us that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did. And 23,000 people fell in a single day. We must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents. Nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. Therefore, lest, let anyone who thinks that he stands firm take heed lest he fall. For no temptation has overtaken you 
Except that what is common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But when the temptation comes, he will provide a way of an escape that we may be able to endure it. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry and rest in Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, we do ask that you would weed out the whining in our hearts, that we would see that you are more than enough for our souls, that you've done everything for us. We thank you that we have a hope, and this hope is forever. It is a hope of rest. We thank you that we have forgiveness of sins. We have eternal life. We have your spirit in us. And we thank you that we will be a glorified people, no longer struggling and wrestling with sin and sorrow, pain and suffering. We look forward to that day and we ask that you would strengthen us in the fight and in the journey that is before us. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.